Off the Ball with BetDuck.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports 24-7. Every season, every sport, every team. All right, you're very welcome along uh, this uh, Friday evening. Brian O'Driscoll is with us. How are you doing? Good evening, very good. Um, Dave is still here as well. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Uh, right, we should talk about the games because they're actually decent games this week and so we can talk a little bit through the prism of these games about what happened last week. Ulster against Munster kicks off in about um, 20 minutes' time and... Uh, I've been a bit disappointed with Ulster in the two big games that they've played. Uh, really high expectations. So Maybe it's because we had Les Kiss in the show. I was like, oh, it's going great. <laughs> so did I. And he, I think they started well, but then you look at the opposition that they started with and you know, a couple of Italian teams, I think the Dragons at home. So pretty unspectacular yeah. sides that they played against. Then they came up against kind of team that took a little while to get out of the blocks, but they were good yeah. uh, in the sports ground. And then obviously over in Bordeaux, they you know they threw away... Uh, a win and then threw away a losing bonus point as well and they weren't overly impressive last weekend against Exeter as well who I thought offered not a huge amount No so is that like a little mini crisis or the fact that you win that game you kick that drop goal and it looks like maybe they've just kicked a win and drop goal you try and It would have been a mini crisis for sure if they did, if, if Jacko doesn't step up, step up and, and knock that over um, but at the, in the same breath you have to feel you know that was the first time they that they'd lost the lead with four minutes to go. Yeah, most te- lots of teams that aren't up for it crack there and they go, oh, I can't believe we've thrown this away. How this game was ours, and now all of a sudden you know, you know we've 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 managed to gift it to to Exeter. Whereas they still went back down there. Can they, if in doubt, give it to Charles Piatow. He'll create yeah. something, and then <laughs> so maybe should have tried this a little bit earlier, lads. <laughs> off, offload to uh, to Pinar a couple of phases later. Um, and Jacko into the pocket and a, and, a, and a really sweet drop goal. Having said that, the next kickoff was insane. How they don't take that? Like that's you know that's catastrophe stuff. Yeah, not taking that kickoff. Give um, give yeah, Exeter more more go. another go. And Exeter maybe if they had uh, there was a young kid at, at nine that came on. Um, I think you take another couple of phases. You set yourself up like Steenson was must have been the guts of forty out. Yeah, like yeah. that's a long way. If you're throwing the pass from the twenty two. You know, 40 metres out, you've got to hear it, hit it so plush. And he just made one as and, well, so... And he did hit it unbelievably well. If you watch the the aftermath, the arm goes up. Like, he can't... He's walking. He's he walking after the puck. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> it was unbelievable, final three minutes. The TV replays, the director, whoever was in charge, didn't have time to get the replays out. By the time we got back into picture of what was happening live, the ball was already 60 metres down the pitch and we, you were almost missing the guy in the pocket dropping the goal. That happened, what, there was so... Seaton had two, Jackson had one in the space of 180 seconds max. Yeah, because that kickoff, you know, they missed it. What Woodburn, I think it was, the winger, batted it back. There was one more phase and then bang into, yeah, into the pocket. unbelievable pockets. stuff. Um, and their season, their European season's over and they're coming into these games now just... Demoralised. Yeah, if they and, don't, if they don't win it, and uh, they've gone and lost Ian Henderson for a few weeks. Um, you know, they've got a, a mounting injury list. Um, yeah, I, I, I definitely get the sense that you know, if you look at the fine margins. That that's a completely different complexion on your whole season. Oh yeah, if you lose that, so they kind of need to win tonight just to get a bit of momentum and keep that going through the international break. Um, yeah, they do, and particularly at home. You, um, Kingspan has been a, a bit of a fortress for them in recent years, and um, obviously a number of of internationals are being kept out of uh, out of the teams. But they would definitely fancy themselves. Um, yeah. Interesting to see whether that, you know a second string monster team can can go up and and 
build on the momentum of last weekend you know with with a different occasion and in an, in another in an away ground can you still use you know the, the spur of those you know, emotional scenes last week in your yeah. in your favor uh, it remains to be seen it's an amazing uh, Ulster backline tonight Pinar Jackson Craig Gilroy and Tommy Bow on the wings Cave Marshall and Charles Pietau at full back so uh, you know if Munster aren't at it tonight they're going to get cut apart well just whatever about the, you know the 9 to 14 but Charles Pietau is already in the running for European player of the year <laughs> he's played like five it's times insane. four times this season <laughs> he is so good and we did something we did a bit of a um, a demo <clears throat> Uh, during the week on uh, on BT, and we were talking about the second a player plants, he does a, a goose step and, and runs around them. And yeah. The second, you know, and these can be front rowers on their toes waiting for him to dance around them. He charges over the top of you. Yeah. Like he's not an enormous man, but he's insanely powerful. So you know, it, that, that's the frightening thing. As as a centre, I always liked the bigger guys that didn't have that fleet of foot. Yeah. Whereas he can mix it up, and so he can show you one thing and absolutely humiliate you. I saw him run over Jonathan Davis, the Welsh centre. Like he, you know, literally the full on sit down. It was like a cartoon where the arms and legs were in the air and he shot back like a couple of metres. Yeah, so it's worth watching him tonight just um, at fullback. They'll, give him, they'll feed him plenty of ball early well, enough. Yeah, the one thing I was talking to Stephen Ferris about it, he kind of wondered whether it was down to his engine that he he wasn't able to stay within the All Black squad for that World Cup. Right. Because he comes and goes slightly and you see him really, it was, I saw him absolutely sucking diesel in the second half last week and just is there a is there a point where he blows up a small bit? Yeah, when he has a lot of repeat efforts. Can you fix that? Like that's just. I think you can. I think I was. I personally was never um, the fittest player prior to, at the at the beginning of a season. I had to work so hard, and it was easy to lose it. You have other guys that are just are built machines. Yeah, Fergus McFadden would run forever for you. And from day one of preseason, whereas maybe Charles just needs to work at it. And, and yeah, of course you can build on it. It just takes an awful lot of hard work. Okay, so that's the game this evening. Do we read anything into the fact that Paddy Jackson is starting this game? There's some suggestion that maybe Sexton might be injured, might not start the game against the All Blacks? Yeah, well, listen, he, well, what's you know, the he, came, suggestion? Off, he came off after 40 minutes. So Does he start tonight, he doesn't start against New Zealand, or because he, he starts tonight because he needs another full game because he's starting against New Zealand? Yeah, so that you're giving him the game time now, thinking you need to be fully up to. I, I think if if Sexto is um, is not fit, he doesn't play tonight. Paddy Jackson doesn't yeah, play. Okay. Yeah, I All think right. I think Sexto uh, has to be okay for him to like Joe, Joe would could not risk starting Joey Carberry against the All Blacks. It'd be a bit of a baptism of fire, all right. <laughs> he just couldn't. As much as, you know, judging on what he's done before, already this season, he might be okay and he might yeah. be pretty confident with it. I, I think that's unfair on yeah. any 20-year-old. <laughs> Maybe he's 21 now. Do you have his birthday during the week? Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right, let's talk about the other game this weekend. It's uh, Leinster against Connacht. Gavin Duffy is on the line. Gavin, how you doing? How you doing, fellas? You right? Yeah, we're pretty good. Uh, good. What is the general sense of well-being around Connacht at the moment? Because first month of the season... Everybody's like, uh-oh, what's going on here? And then suddenly, Connacht are back. Yeah, and uh, back with a bang. And it really started um, against Ulster, uh, in poor condi- or against, sorry, against uh, Edinburgh in poor conditions here. Um, and again, even for the first 10, 15 minutes, they retained the ball in the style that they've been obviously playing within the last year. And at times, even I was shouting, would you kick the bloody thing? Um, because anytime they, they tried to run it out, they were going six, seven phases inside the 22. And it led ultimately it led to Edinburgh points, whether it was a penalty for holding on, holding on the breakdown or a turnover and a try. 
but they just stuck with it and stuck with it. And then in the second half, they just opened up and it, they really came back into the style of play that was so effective for them at the end of last season uh, from Christmas on. So I think that was kind of the turning point. And then obviously also here uh, in the sports round the week after and they, um, that was by far the best performance of the season up to that point. And then all of a sudden Toulouse came around and that surpassed uh, the performance against Ulster. So um, they've, been, uh, they've been really playing good stuff in the last month. And then obviously Libra away um, hadn't gone too well in the, in the league match over there when it was abandoned at halftime, 22-10 down. So uh, obviously they knew of the potential banana skin that could be, but to put in a really uh, workmanlike performance and play some good rugby and picked off some good tries. So uh, they've been going well over the last month, sure. Yeah, that, um, that abandonment of the Zebra game was actually also a bit of a turning point because you're getting, you know, it's really sticky wicket if you're getting beaten in Italy in the 22-10 and the rain comes and the game gets called off. And it's from that point on that, I don't know, is there, have you lost the game since? No. 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 So three in a row. The rain dance, the, the rain dance worked for, uh, yeah. Uh, but the, the, that period of time when things weren't going well, was there any kind of fear or was that just like, look, this is because there was a general sense that the preseason hadn't, worked out in terms of there was a couple of games some of the English teams were supposed to come over and couldn't come for one reason or another so they didn't actually get enough game time together Yeah I think that was a, that was a fair um, excuse I suppose and having that excuse I'd imagine it almost kind of let them relax a little bit saying alright we're, we're undercooked here we're undercooked and, and they could kind of lean on that and perhaps use that as a bit of a, a, bit of a, a crutch but um, certainly the pressure came on I think uh, probably when they were sitting in the dressing room at half time against the Ebra they were probably looking around themselves and going yeah, this would do us a favour if this is called off right now because things aren't going planned. But um, maybe that was the impetus and maybe that was the kind of the, the lucky break they needed. And he said, really, since Edinburgh then, the second half against Edinburgh, they scored some great tries. Delice Keane Kelleher really looked the place on a, on a kind of a wet night. But um, everyone just felt good around the place after that, kind of saying, right, these guys, can still, they still got it. They can still play, um, albeit against a, a relatively limited uh, Edinburgh side. But the, the, the true test was against Ulster and... Um, that first 15, 20 minutes, they played some incredible rugby and, you know, even had the wobble and also came back at them. They steadied the ship, they believed in what they were doing and again, they just, you know, possession, 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 it was, it's, it's key to the way they play and, uh, you know, against Toulouse as well, it was very evident and, and they've got the rewards from it and, and I can't see them changing anytime soon. Uh, Gav, uh, uh, Brian here, pretty impressive stuff over, over the last few weeks. I suppose what I'd like to know from from with talking Ireland, with only three players uh, in this in Joe Schmidt squad, what's the general consensus within Connacht as as to why there are so few players with Connacht playing as well as they are? Yeah, I don't know whether the start of the season might have um, hampered a few of their the expectations, perhaps, and then um, a few injuries as well. You like of Matt Healy was on tour during the summer, got injured. Quinn Drew has been injured for the large part of the start of the season, only back this weekend. Um, and on the flip side, you have someone like Nia Dilokun, who's playing outstanding rugby. Um, really, his his basics have improved no end, and obviously he's a guy who can create something out of nothing. So on the flip side, as I said, he's now been included in an Irish squad, So um, albeit not in the 34 going ahead, but uh, got his first chance a couple weeks ago in the training squad. I think he is unlucky not to be included in the 34. Um, Certainly, I think he's been possibly the in-form winger, and so is Keen Kelleher. But again, it's an early form, possibly the first two or three games um, when Joe Schmidt is probably cutting down a few a few lists he's he's, uh, he's going through might have caused um, a few guys to, to miss out on this occasion. But um, was Tiernan O'Halloran's injury did that keep him out? Do you think is that why he's? Yeah, possibly, and um, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a contrast in the style of play as well, and. and 
as much and as well as these guys are playing well, sometimes I, I kind of think, well, if Tierney Hallen is thrown into an Irish team and he goes out with the same idea about how he wants to play the game, I, I, I would have a fear that he might get caught out, that he's thinking, right, the, the, let's keep possession here. And if other guys aren't on that, way, that same wavelength, you know, he'll get turned over, he'll run up blind, blind alleys with no support. And he gets away with that here in Connacht because the first preference is let's look after the ball, get it back, run it back as far as you can, get into around halfway and set up a, set up a ruck there and we just maintain possession. So there's a, there's a fear, I think, almost of some of these guys, especially in the back three, as I said, coming into an Irish system, if the, if the game plan is so different and other guys not being on the same wavelength. I, maybe I, I'm seeing it in a different way, uh, Brian, than you might see it in terms of the game plans, but um, it can be hard to chop and change if you have you know, yep. one coach saying, you know, always look for the offload and if Don, always give it. And perhaps even another coach who might look at it slightly differently saying, well, the first option is just to retain the ball. And then it's a bonus if you get a, if you get an offload. Um, you know, you have guys on different pages there and, and guys can look quite silly then as a result of that or just make a lot of mistakes and that could cause them uh, their selection. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think their styles are incredibly different. Um, I, I don't know if... You, if there's scope to play Connacht style at international rugby, I think sides, um, if if you play that level of possession-based um, rugby, you have more guys capable of turning ball over. I think you have more big impacts. And so the knock-on effects is that you have to kick the ball at, at international level. I think maybe as, as a result of that, there's been a couple of players that um, haven't been in Joe Schmidt's thinking the likes of Kieran Marmion for instance you know I, I, I don't know about his box kicking game which is a massive component in Joe yeah. Smith's squad and I, I've just never seen him being particularly effective at it he doesn't have to do it a huge amount for Connacht and maybe that has a knock on effect for uh, uh, for him not being favourable within Joe's selection Yeah I think that's a good point Brian I think um, it's the one aspect of Kieran's game that as you said, it is under question, but then as you said, you, very rarely does he does he kickbox it. Um, and if you've got a guy from like uh, Conor Murray box kicking you know, 10 times in a game, 8 or 10 of those are on the money, he gets away with the two that aren't on the money. Um, so there can be that element as well. Although, you look at the likes of Argentina and New Zealand, do they play the same type of game? Do they have different athletes that they can play that game? Again, that's a, uh, I'm not too sure. I, I think Ireland could certainly play that type of game if there was a willingness to do so. Does that mean, though, that <clears throat> as long as Pat Lamb and Josh Schmidt are in charge, that these boys will never get a, an opportunity? So, no, I don't think that's the case. I just think at the moment, uh, different coaches have different preferences for different players and, and different styles. And I think um, for the Connacht guys, I think it is more more of a case of uh, ensuring that this good vein of uh, form continues, be it individually and collectively, and again push on up the table. Um, some big games coming up obviously the Interpros this weekend was in, in, in around December time so I, I'd be hopeful that a few more of the Connacht guys can, can uh, as I said just sustain that level of form now again and, and push on and be included in the in the new year Alright we'll leave it there Gav great stuff thanks a million No problem lads Gavin Duffy giving us uh, some thoughts on the Connacht game we haven't talked about Leinster yet I want to play you this clip it's um, it's Johnny Sexton speaking with Nathan during the week when he was asked about the impact that um, Stuart Lancaster is having on Leinster. Have a listen. He's worked with some some pretty good out halves, um, you know, over in England and had to, you know, 
he's a work like I think what strikes me about all the best coaches I've worked with they're all workaholics like they, they he comes in on a Monday and says oh, I was playing this clip from um, this game uh, and then he shows another game that he's watched and I was like how many games did you watch over the weekend including our own so um, yeah that's that's something that strikes me about all, all the great coaches I've worked with and he's certainly up there with, with that work uh, so it looks like Stuart Lancaster isn't really an assistant coach so much as a head coach and we've got now a director of rugby head coach situation going on yeah I don't, I don't know the pecking order but I, what I do know is that I've only heard good things out of the, out of the squad um, at a camp uh, in Leinster um, about Stuart Lancaster they've all been waxing lyrically about um, how good he's been from day one um, he didn't take a while to embed himself he was in immediately yeah. um, very authoritative very clear and defined as to how he wanted his defence in particular um, uh, defending and, and the systems he put in place and then I think he's, you know, there's more scope now for, for team shape so I think it allows um, Leo not having spoken to Leo for, for a number of weeks it allows him to see the overall picture and uh, and come in and, and maybe there isn't as much pressure on Leo to, to be at the coalface and he's kind of looking, not from a holistic point of view, but a more wide-ranging point of view. Which you really need. As as head coach you do, you have to understand the individual a bit more. You have to, you know, you have to, you have to I think, talk, to them, talk people off a cliff is maybe a bit extreme, but you have to tell guys bad news every single week and yeah. you have to invest in them, you know, and, and give them the truth, otherwise they'll they'll see you as a bullshitter. Yeah. So it's important that he invests the time in, in guys in his squad that are now coming in, making sure that when they are picked, that they deliver, their opportunity is given. So it's not just about week to week. I think you have to look and, and plan in advance. And I think allowing Stuart to do a lot of the day-to-day coaching will give him more of an opportunity to see the weeks and months ahead. You were at the game last week, the Leicester Steeler, Last minute, losing bonus points, which is kind of the perfect scenario. Obviously, winning the game is a perfect scenario, but like at halftime, it didn't look like they were going to get within an ass's roar of a losing bonus points. No, it didn't, but had they, lo- had they left with nothing, they would just would have been so angry. I haven't seen a Lancer team make as many childish mistakes in a single game as they did last weekend. I mean, pretty much all of my penalty points were just gift-wrapped, handed to them on a plate, and it's great for them. They played really badly, Leinster, and they came away with a point. Badly is in, they could have won the game Montpellier at that average. And they saw nothing in Montpellier that will strike any fear into them when they have to take them on here in Dublin in the next round. So I, I did. Would, his name's Nandolo. Nandolo. But even Nandolo, his two tries were just... I mean, the one the mistake from Jamie with the intercept, and Nandolo read it brilliantly, to be fair, but like that's that's a handy one. And for Leinster to be so open that they could allow the ball get over to him off a, a line-out mall... Lancer were just completely so uh, sucked into them all. I don't think they'd make that mistake again. I they were, and every time Lancer came within close of uh, the Montpellier twenty-two, they drop it. They let send it forward. They are He's off the field at the rock. Point here. I'm, it's five points all the way when they played them at home. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. And look at that stage, Montpellier may not be in the group to an extent where Nadal was actually going to play. I don't know. I I, I left last week on very optimistic about Lancer's chances in this pool, despite them losing the game. All right. Last question here. So they've picked Cronin and Healy in the front row. Sean O'Brien has, obviously has to get 80 minutes to be in the reckoning, to be in the 23 for the game against the All Blacks. 60 minutes. 60 is enough? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's, he's, he's that important to, to Ireland that I think if he gets 60 minutes, then he gets At least on the, on the bench. bench. Yeah. And what about Keen Healy and Sean Cronin? Are they both destined to be on the bench for the All Blacks game or can either of them force their way into the... Cronin can't, but can Healy? 
again, Keane Healy's a phenomenal bench player. Yeah, I, you you know? don't want Healy starting. No, I think he comes on and makes that impact. You look at him, Sean O'Brien, Sean Cronin coming off the bench. That's the Delan. level of impact. impact. Standard. Explosive ball carriers that are going to bring this aggression and, and go forward. That's what you want on, from your bench. Lance are going to beat Connacht with a slightly better team this week. It's going to be tight, you know. Yeah. It's like there's there's a huge amount of changes, and you know Connacht always love playing against Leinster and and in the RDS, isn't it? Yeah, um, they, yeah. Got I, I, I on think the bench. it'll be bloody tight. All right, five three one six. The text number. We've got to take a quick break. We'll talk about the residency rules, and we'll talk about the All Blacks after this. Off the ball with betdac.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports twenty four seven. Every season, every sport, every team. All right, you're very welcome back. Uh, Brian's still with us. If you've got texts or tweets that you want to get off your chest, 53106 is the text number, or you can um, tweet us here at Off the Ball. We're going to talk about the Ireland All Blacks game um, in a moment. But first, uh, Luke Fitzgerald has been talking about the residency rule. It's got a lot of support from a lot of people. Uh, it does piss you off, said uh, Luke Fitzgerald last week. I think it's wrong. That's controversial, and it's no reflection on those guys. Those guys. They're doing everything within within the rules. I want to see Irish guys in there. Are we not good enough to fill the spots? I don't know if there's a big enough gap to justify it. Gary looks awesome. Robbie's brilliant. Stuart Olding, Luke Marshall. He didn't add Luke Fitzgerald, but effectively he was kept out of the Ireland team in the World Cup by Jared Payne. And so, you know, I mean, maybe that's the subtext. Maybe it's not, but it must piss you off when somebody keeps you out of the team. Yeah, effectively he was kept out of the team, I suppose, looking back on that. Um, yeah, it's pretty outspoken stuff, pretty honest stuff. Um a lot of people um, giving products for it. I, I would have to say uh, I would largely be in agreement with what he says. Um, but in the same breath, I have to say you, you can't be critical or feel the guys that are now in situ within the residency rules feeling uncomfortable or making them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. It's not their fault. They've taken advantage of it. Having said that, looking forward, and I know um, it's Gus Pichot's bugbear. I think he's the one that's really driving it within World Rugby trying to make sure that you know the, the residency rule do, is pushed to at least five years. It's very, very difficult to argue with that. Yeah, I think everybody agrees with that five-year thing, right? It's just that these are the rules as they stand and it'd be stupid of, our, of Ireland as a small country not to play the rules, not to play the game. We can be very high-minded and say we're not going to pick these players and get hammered by all the, the countries who do pick those players. We're not, we're not in a position to take the moral high ground. In no way are we in that position. But, and David Nusifor said as much earlier in the week, I think it was yesterday, when he kind of did his usual State of the Nation address when he invites the various strands of the media in for a long chat. And he said, look, we're just operating within the rules as they currently stand. And I think even he will admit that when it, if or when it is pushed to five or six or whatever the, the new number is, the RFU will just say, well, them, they're, they're the rules now and we'll just continue to abide by those rules. But I haven't heard anybody arguing that the three-year number is the right one. I, I, just as well, if you come from the from a a foreigner's perspective coming to a country of where they get their residence. Mm. It, it, the financial incentives are incredible. You know, to, to you look at someone like like Ben Teo locking himself within England. Yeah. He went on that summer tour. Now, I don't know what you get as a player on the summer tour, but I, I know you get all the win bonuses. They don't, they don't specify it to the 15 or the 23. Right. It's everyone gets the win bonuses. He didn't play on the tour. Imagine he came away from that, having not played a minute, with a very, very healthy pay pack. And of course it's worth your while. Now, he, his, sorry, um, I'm, I'm incorrect in, in including him in the residence. Yeah, his circumstances he's, are he's, slightly he different. Is, he yeah. is actually uh, in the grandparent rule. but He would have been resident for us if he'd say this but, year. Yeah. But the equivalent, wh- why would you not? You, you know, the writing's on the wall early on. Uh, you know, as a 22, 23-year-old, you've had a go. You might have played on, under 20s. 
and you know you realize it's it's not going to happen for you you're just you're, you know there's other people in the pecking order that pass you by probably guys that are younger than you yeah. they're going to be there you know for for the for the for the long course or for the or for the long road and yeah you know it's an opportunity for you to play 7 8 years with with an adopted country you know it could be it could be very lucrative it could be worth 3 or 400 grand to you yeah so it makes sense for everybody apart from the fact that it's 3 years but if they just change it to 5 everybody's happy yeah, I think so. Not, I mean, like it's not, it's not amazing. Some, there's going to be some people yeah. that aren't happy. Sure. Look, in an ideal world, everybody was born and raised in this country or their parents had emigrated or their grandparents had emigrated, but they had a real kinship for, you know, a real grow for Ireland. But we are a million miles from an ideal world now and the way the game is now. I agree. And, and do you, no matter what, you know, and I saw Johnny Sexton talking about, the, you know, he specified three lads he played with and they've given everything to the jersey. I'm not doubting... Know their intent in playing for the Irish jersey, but if you've spent twenty three years in South Africa and you've spent three years in Ireland, where's the draw going to be? Yeah. Can you possibly feel the same playing in an Irish jersey in an Ireland green as opposed to South African green? I don't think you can. Okay, so for you, still international rugby should be about the where you've come from, and it should still be a representative thing. Because the other argument to that is that New Zealand rugby culture produces so many amazing players that actually. They're just going to kill all the other countries eventually. That we're, we're and we're getting there pretty quickly, where they're winning every game. I think it's eleven games since it's been more than a try, uh, less than a try that they've won a game by. And and that that second tier of players are so good, they'll never play international rugby. The international product gets diluted. The club game can actually sign that best second best tier, and, and the balance tilts. We've seen it in soccer, so it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that this happens in international soccer. Tends not to be anywhere near as good in, in mm. terms of the standard. So. There is the danger that in 15, 20 years' time of professionalism that we have a team exclusively people by Irish people, but the Scots or Scotland. England's amazing because they've got numbers. Australia are decent because they've got rugby league and the comrades are good. But New Zealand beats everybody by 10, 15 points and we can't compete. Yes, it's very plausible. <laughs> it really is. And, and, and in many cases, second string players in New Zealand are better standard than a lot of other nations. Yeah. That, that's how it is. Um. I don't think you get you, you know, they don't throw out cheap caps to to players in New Zealand really in, I was going to just ask the question though might we head down the road at some stage where the ch- the caps that the top nations the three southern hemisphere sides actually do just become a little bit cheaper that in a bid to try and stem this flow that there will be an awful lot more guys that find themselves in the position that Eastern Athey was in you'd hope you'd hope that a team like New Zealand wouldn't be so cynical as to just you know they, look well, after they, everyone. They handpicked the best Samoans, Tongans, and Fijians. That's as cynical as it gets. Yeah, but in in most cases, they you know it's a, it's a grandparent rule. I don't I don't think they do any residency, do they? There, well, there was there's. So I'm sure if different. we there's a grandparent rule. If we and sat a down and compiled, rule, yeah, very, I understand that. Things. If, but if we I'd sat be down to and see the the the, the ratio of of resident, I bet you there's none. From a New Zealand point yeah. of view, I'm not talking about the, the residency rule at all when it applies to New Zealand, aside from them preventing New Zealanders. Their general whether, cynicism would be that you think they're cynical about that, so why would they not be cynical about this? Well, that's what I mean. So yeah. if, if if a New Zealander is 21 and he's showing a little bit of promise, but ultimately he's going to be one of these 
tier two New Zealand players that you're talking about. Do they just fling them a cap in the fifth round of the Champions Cup when they're already champions and they're playing Argentina in Buenos Aires and a couple of the boys are injured and they just don't bother? They're in the bench, he comes on and he can't play for Ireland. Very specific example. I think it depends on who the coach is because they do this whole the whole All Black jersey and the pride in the All Black jersey and how how highly it's considered by everyone in New Zealand and around the world to it, not to the same degree as it is in New Zealand. Yeah. But the ultimate is to be an All Black. And so all the All Blacks have, that have gone beforehand, if you start throwing out, you know, easy caps to, you know, second second rate players, you're going to have uproar from them too. Yeah. And, and and that voice will, will be heard. Okay, what about the situation with Bundyaki where Connacht have held on to him because of the three-year residency rule. I don't think there's any way of dressing that up. He wouldn't be a Connacht player now if he knew if he did, if he he knew that he couldn't play for Ireland next season. If he had to wait another two years, would he have signed a two-year contract or would he have gone? I, I think he would have gone for bigger money elsewhere. May, you know, maybe he... Let's, I don't know. I, I don't know Bundy at all. I don't know how he gets on, how his family likes Galway, you know, how the pay over there relates to... France somewhere but you'd have to imagine he had a huge number of suitors he's been a terrific find for them he's been exceptional again this season and and particularly in Europe you know I think that's where you know you really show your worth whatever about Pro 12 but then if you're able to hold your hand up and perform and be a better you know one of the better performers of your team and beat beating French oppositions nothing like that so the question would be the appetite for applicants to the project player situation or the residency rule would it drop off a cliff if you drop the two years onto the three I think it, it significantly reduces I think yeah I think I think players initially coming over thinking about playing international rugby five years is a stretch yeah uh, three years not so much especially your age like a 27 year old thinks it's probably just about worth my while to go but you know, if you're 27, 28, 29 and it's five years, it's not worth your while. No. Yeah, no the, the only circumstance where it might be unjust is a 17, 16, 17 year old travels with parents sure. for, for work reasons. Yeah. And all of and has, you know, has huge talent, but yet has is, to wait to 22 or 23. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And might be ready at 20, 21, but that's a, that's a very much an exception to the rule. Yeah. yeah so I, mm, if they do move it to five, you wouldn't complain too much no, about that? I'd be happy with five. Yeah. Happy with five, re- review it in five years for seven. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting there eventually. Uh, okay, let's talk about the All Blacks. Um, I was just reading the match report from the last time you, you guys played. Oh, goody. Ireland 22, New Zealand 24. To be a minute away from history and have the ball in your hands in the 10 metre line, it's devastating. This is Joe Schmidt. Uh, Robert Kitson's uh, match report has the immortal line. From an Irish perspective, this was like winning the lotto and then tossing the crucial ticket over the Cliffs of Moher. It's like, <laughs> screw you, Robert. <laughs> but uh, not bad. <laughs> I, like, do you remember much about the game? Thankfully, it was. It's one of the few times that um, being concussed on the side of the pitch and and not feeling the same emotion after a game, you know, served me well. Yeah, but um, I remember seeing your face when you realised that you weren't there. Well, yeah. you realised what you felt at the. This was when you were back in on the bench, and mm. I'm hoping, think, remembering the game the right way. But the realisation had set in with you that I'm not going to be part of this victory. I'm not going to be on the pitch when we have beaten New Zealand when this full-time whistle goes. That didn't bother me Did as not, much. No? no, it didn't. Like, I, I, I'd had a, I'd had a, a contentious HIA incident against France two years previously. Um, I, I didn't get knocked out on this occasion, but I was badly shaken. I definitely had some spinnies. 
Uh, the doc said that he came out and he saw me spit my gum shield out and that was enough for him. He got me off the pitch for HIA. That was the only way I was going to agree to going off. But he had made his mind up that I wasn't coming back on. I had a fair idea that that was going to be the case when I was doing the HIA and I passed it with flying colours inside with the other doc. But, you know... Um, it was decided prior to me even getting into the dressing room. And, and when I came out, it was more, I knew even in my in my somewhat shaky head that I, I, it was going to be a push to get back out there. Yeah. Sounds like you're still pissed off that that decision was made. And like, like of course, you, yeah. you, I think well, as a player, right. you all, yeah, it was the right call. Reluctantly yeah. to say it's the right <laughs> call. Twisting your arm you know? there. It's like <laughs> um, but it, it doesn't mean that I, I wasn't very annoyed with him at yeah. the time. And you know, retrospectively, it doesn't make it's not it doesn't make it any easier. Me going, you know, Doc, well done, thanks a million for looking after me. I would have loved, yeah. even in that maybe semi day state, to still be able to get back out there because you can do nothing from the side of the pitch. And maybe I could have made an impact, or maybe I could have done something, or you know, even given away a penalty at the end to just stem that flow of of black jerseys coming at us. And it was you'd, it was pretty helpless being on the side of the pitch because I I was twenty five minutes um, off the pitch until you know until full time. How vehement a case did you make to him? I tried to bargain. I, I'm like, I don't know. I, I tried fine. to bargain, but he, I knew. I could tell when I was going off the pitch for the HIA, I, I don't know if he's going to let me on here. And it, it was largely, it stemmed from the previous incident where it was no fault of his because he'd, he was, out he, he'd, gone, out, he'd gone out to look after Luke Marshall when I was he, led off the pitch. Yeah. And then, and so I hadn't seen what had know, happened. Hadn't seen what happened, and then I came out and he asked me a couple of questions, and I happened to see the scoreboard over his shoulder and to know what time it was and how how long how long was left. And I was considerably more shook in that game than I was right. in the New Zealand game. Yeah. But it, I think it was a, it was the culmination of the two of them together, and he wasn't going to be seen as the guy that made that error again, or yeah. or perceived to make that error, even though the first time wasn't his fault. Yeah, completely, and and. Yeah, look, it's an awful situation for him to be in, but it's also you're watching those last 25 minutes. Like he doesn't want to take, I wasn't captain, uh, no I wasn't, Paulie was captain, uh, I wasn't captain, but it's it's not easy to take one of the senior players off the, off the pitch that maybe you know can make a difference. Yeah. And we'd been going well and when you're leading well, and I went into the dressing room and I was trying to get the time to pass and then you'd hear the odd cheer and you wouldn't, you were kind of thinking that wasn't that loud a cheer, that mm. must have been for them. Yeah. And I think one of the Franks boys scored a try. And then, you know, I came back out with seven or eight minutes to go. And obviously, the, you know, the kick that Johnny had with um, with three or four minutes to go, um, you're kind of, you're willing that one over. And then I wouldn't say I, there was an inevitability to it. You still, you, 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 you feel as though you're going to hang in there, but... It was it was a long three minutes or three minutes thirteen segment that that last play. The um the the various defeats down the years. There's the game against England for a Grand Slam. There's the Munster game. Um, is this the worst? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because no team had managed to do it before it, the great England Grand Slam game, we weren't with in a bull's roar. Yeah. Um, but and you've you've atoned. You got to atone for both of those in the meantime. Yeah. You did beat Munster then. Three years later, you did win the Grand Slam. Six the, years later, the defeat to Wales in the World Cup in two thousand and eleven was was a nasty one. I'd probably say that second to to, to this All Black game. Um, but just going back, I remember watching on the while we we're trying to kill the clock, and Nigel was referee, and you have to try and play positive rugby. That pick and jam of all referees, you can't do the pick and jam, even if it looks as though you're trying to play positively. You ha- you, you you can't play off nine the whole time. And, and continually, Rook, you've got to go to 10 every two or three phases. And I was shouting out to, to go to t- to 10, even just to do a simple switch play and then resource that Rook. 
But if you do three or four and you show any bad picture to him, you know he's going to ping, he's going to ping it. Because he, he doesn't want um, to see a dead game for the last four or five minutes trying to play it out. What's the, what's the infringement? It doesn't matter. What rule you break? Seal, sealing off. Sealing off or so not, not, not allowing a key. Yeah, but you, well, what's on your feet? Are you supporting your own body weight? He's going to, he's, you're going to get extra, uh, referee's going to get extra critical okay. in the last few minutes of the game you know, where you need to present the best possible picture to him. I think you might get away with more. But again, you're not trying to close off a game in the first few minutes. So he's looking at it very differently than ordinarily he might. Especially when his reputation has been built on big, close, high-scoring games. Yeah. He wants this to, to, he wants a bit of change, and a bit of drama. And I'm not saying that out of, out of any kind of like, it's it's forced. It's like he believes that that's the way the game should be played. And so... And other than this occasion, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the dressing room afterwards. What's your kind of like? Is it is it just dead? Is there? Yeah, like t- the funny thing is, you know, I remember Lukey apologising for everyone for for jumping the gun on on trying to chase down the kid. I wasn't sure he did anyway. But even still, yeah. it, it didn't matter a draw or a loss. Yeah. Like, oh, you, you've drawn against the All Blacks. It was much the same to me. It, it really mattered nothing at all that he knocked over the conversion and they won. Really didn't. Um. Because be, you know, it's not quite. It's not not the boast I was looking for. Yeah, we yeah, had a draw true. once against the All Blacks, <laughs> you know. So no, for me, once the try went in, yeah, it was it was devastation. And then the dressing room, from my recollection, I think I tried to get out of there as quickly as possible because I needed to get checked up. So I went into the medical room. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't handle how um, yeah, desolate it was. It was um, nineteen nil after eighteen minutes. Like it was one of the best opening 20 minutes of Irish rugby history and maybe that makes it even more difficult like it's not like we nearly sneak away and they it's like oh we're killing them and mm. we were physically monstering them there's the there's the Keane Healy on um, uh, McCaw he just kills oh, yeah. him in the first couple of minutes like almost knocks him out like, yeah. yeah we're at it today it was, was amazing yeah and then even just the contest and what there was one point that, that Joe brought up afterwards which many people don't know and um, it was on Rob Carney's try and it was, he showed the video of it, and it's Kieran Reed's chase back, and Carnes intercepted, and Kieran Reed turned on his heels and went after him, and Carnes went ran into maybe the fifteen meter, maybe just outside the fifteen. Johnny hit the post with the conversion. Kieran Reed gives up on that; he gets in under the sticks. We're guaranteed a draw. Yeah, that it makes any difference, but he still has to knock over that conversion. Yeah, to get a draw at as the opposed end, to, yeah. as opposed to the other, as opposed to for a win. And I remember making that point. That, that's what you never ever give up on on any situation. That listen, that was great leadership from from the now um, all black captain. Yeah, and does when he's doing that kind of stuff, is everybody taking it on board, or is it just still too sickening? This was this was afterwards. So this would have been when we regrouped in December. Right, okay, so um, yeah, we would have done passed. it immediately afterwards. Um, yeah, so we we had an opportunity to kind of go back and wallow in our in self pity and, yeah. and and come together. It was a difficult video to watch, um, and then we we went off and did segments of training for three minutes thirty seconds. Rare the balls in play for three minutes thirty seconds. So because I think this sequ- that sequence at the end was three thirteen, right. something like that. So we said, you know what, we got we need to do three thirty. So at the end of all our sessions, and I think the boys still do it high intensity. You know, and under massive fatigue, still make sure that they execute and have high skill level, so that you can stop that from happening again. Yeah, just so you're still. You know, there's nothing. You, you revert to type when you're fatigued, and you t- and you take easy options. Whereas 
try, it's it's almost building mental toughness and and building a resolve at training to make it much more difficult than it might be in the game. And then on, while you're in the game, you have all the adrenaline and everything else that's going with it that, yeah. that makes it easier. So if you can make it horrifically hard at training, you know it should be perceived to be a little bit easier. The All Blacks actually train that way and they, they do it after they choked in the World Cup against France. It was one of the things that um, their coaching ticket decided to do because it, it replicates the whole feeling of choking. It's like the actual, I'm nearly dead here mm. and still I have to do it. But um, Sexton was talking this week about how he still thinks about that missed kick all the time. And I wonder now that you've retired, do you still have that kind of, do you still have flashes of not that kick specifically not Sexton I'm going to bag him now (laughs) but that game and that's like you know No I think you you listen and you you absolutely do win and lose as a team and I would never ever point a finger at a a kicker Um, but the reality was as Rich McCaw said afterwards that if that goes over you know they don't win the game they can't can't get two scores Um, but but doesn't he didn't get it we still should have had enough to see it out yeah and you, I mean, can't, you can't look back to three or four minutes previously sorry. when you had a great opportunity at the death still to still to see it through as, as a team yeah. rather than leave it to one guy. Yeah, I meant the more that he still thinks about it all the time. Do you still think about this? Because like, I guess when you're in, you're st- it's still his profession, it's still his job to go, actually I have to replicate that situation again and make sure it never happens. You're a civilian now. Only when I read articles about it or going to radio that? stations <laughs> <laughs> can we pick this apart I'm a little sure. bit yeah like it's Stick it, it doesn't to be honest it doesn't pain me like it used to um, it, was it was raw for a while yeah. um, but it's just the reality I don't have another opportunity at least those guys in the next month have a, have two more opportunities to have a go how at. raw like are you are you doing the night feed at 4am and you know she's just gurgling beside you and then you're just like oh, it's just the the the, the shadow of the game of that moment of the whistle just comes back into your mind would it be as random as that or do you have to be in a rugby environment for for the memories to be triggered no I, um, I, I think in the immediate aftermath there would have been some of those moments the dark moments but I, I don't I don't allow myself to um, engage in it that much you know if, it, if, if that comes in I try and blank it out and and start thinking about Princesses, you know, <laughs> and and fairies. No, I, I just, I don't want to, uh, I, I don't want to um, entertain it really, um, because it, it it does it serves you no good. Yeah. Um, I, I felt enough pain of it talking about it in a team context and how we can improve. And the boys talk about. I'd say they were nice meetings. It using yeah, it was using it as a springboard for back to back Six Nations and maybe so, but. Um, I'd have, I'd have definitely given up the second Six Nations that I wasn't part of for that victory. <laughs> <laughs> All right, 53106 is the text number. One last question about the, the squad that was named. Um, there's been a one-man campaign from a couple of Connacht fans, uh, one Connacht fan in particular, who says that Tiernan O'Halloran and Addy Ullican should both be in the Ireland squad for the two tests. Tiernan O'Halloran might feel a little bit like, I did okay I, I, on that uh, summer tour. He definitely didn't look out of place. No, he didn't. He didn't. And I think what you're looking at is... Um, and, and Joe has definitely gone back to a lot of guys that he has has um, put faith in in the past mm. and have rewarded them relatively well. Um, I think when it comes to playing the All Blacks, a huge amount is going to be experience guys that have been there before, and, and I think he'll he'll play that team. Yeah, you know, would it be that was the exact word you use when it comes to playing the All Blacks? Yeah, the experience is so important. But when it comes to beating the All Blacks, though, 
we, like we, all the experience in the world has never beaten the All Blacks. Yeah. So why not try something we've never tried before and just abandon all sense of reliance on the old guard and play O'Halloran at 15, play Ringrose at 13 with Henshaw outside him, play um, Joey Carberry at 10. I'm, I'm stretching it now. This is just for the purpose of the question. But do you know what I mean? Like, because how many times have we played them? We had such an experienced team in 2013, we still lost. In fact, all the experience in the world was no good to us in throwing away the lead with three minutes, 13 seconds left. Yeah, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I think I think you look at some of the combos and some, you know, that I feel that he might go with might be perceived as a bit safe. Uh, would I love to see Gary Ringrose in there? Absolutely. Uh, would that mean that Jared Payne, you know, might take the slot from from Rob Carney at 15? Very plausibly. I think Jared, if 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 Rob's not playing at 15, Jared absolutely plays there ahead of Tiernan O'Halloran. Um, Jared is, for me, probably the informed 15. It, well, is the informed 15 in Ireland. Um, and I think playing him in the centre might be a bit safe, but defensively he's very secure. We've seen that in the World Cup. Yeah. Um, it, but it, is it the team? I, I don't know what... We, we've never beaten the All Blacks, so what way do you go and play the game to actually try and beat them? Just defensively be very secure don't make a huge amount of mistakes. I don't think you can go out and, and play sevens against them. I think they'll rip you apart. So you've got to try and play a little bit of a tight game. Maybe not play a huge amount of rugby. Try and make it a scrap. You've got to bring them down so to a, a level grind. below. Yeah, I think, if I or when think, we beat them, we're never it's going to be like 18-15. We're, never, we're yeah. not going to win 28-27. No, we're not going to win playing one of the games that Nigel Owens likes to ref. Yeah. We, we're just not. We're, it's, going to be, we're, it's going to be you know, 15-13. It's going to be don't concede too many and you know, kick your goals and maybe take an opportunity, take a score. That's so if we do that on, in Chicago and lose 25-12, but we're competitive right to the last quarter, in the second game then against New Zealand, do we get closer to what game, I was suggesting then? I think, yeah, I, I do. I think the second game gives you an opportunity to throw caution to the wind a little bit because you're going to have some guys getting their first cap against uh, Canada if they haven't already been given that opportunity in 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 that all black game, so they'll definitely get that those you know six new uncapped players, and a number of them will definitely be capped over the course of the first two games, yeah. and then an opportunity if they shine in that Canada game to start in uh, against the All Blacks. I think that he has to go with that tack. Um, there's no room for Peter Marnie and CJ Stander and Jimmy Heaslip in the team. There's no weird kind of I'm going to play two sixes and an eight thing that they have up their sleeve, is there? Um, there is if. Um, if he starts Sean O'Brien at seven, Jamie at eight, and sorry, not starting in the—I mean—in the back row of four. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking twenty-three rather than than fifteen. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's Pete, um, CJ, and Jamie in a starting back row. No, uh, but I think if Sean plays seven, Jamie eight, and Pete or CJ then battle comes for, off the bench. Yeah, and, and and you'd have to think that CJ's a better impact off the bench, but then. I don't know, Sean O'Brien, I know he's going to play again yeah. uh, this weekend. Um, does he get another opportunity? Or uh, if he plays 80 minutes, does he start? Seven, you know, he's been out nine months. So yeah. That's a big ask. So for me, I think he could be the guy that's on the bench. That would mean Josh starting at seven, Jamie at eight, and then either Pete or CJ. Not in the squad. Six, <laughs> at six and one not making it. Do you wow. aim to finish with your best team or start with it? No, I think you've got to pick the guys that, are most likely to make an impact for you. I think you look at... Um, start. You, yeah, I think you look at, at, at Pete and CJ, who, who's the better bench player for sure, okay. CJ. Um, and then likewise, Sean. Sean's a, has, has, uh, 
you know, he brings that ball carrying destructiveness off the bench, you know, big impact. And I think the dynamic of him having not played over the last nine months could work or serve Ireland really well. In the in, long run? In, you know, in the medium it, term? No, in the medium term. I think he's a starter when he gets game, back and fit. you manage it for an hour, then you've got yeah. O'Brien, Stander, Delan, Be- Because their bench Cronin, is so Keen powerful Healy. too. Keane yeah, Healy, all yeah. these boys like, were the, coming off for the last 20 minutes. Suddenly then you're thinking, it's this could Ma- be it. It is. It's that Michael Checker thing of starters and finishers. It's not, oh, come on and let's tr- try and keep the status quo. Yeah, it's yeah. about try and get the, make the team better. And, yeah. you know, yeah, actually improve them on on the on the the level that we've you know, battled for fifty or sixty minutes. The last time that we played them, uh, we were trying to stop them becoming the first team to win every game in a calendar year. This time, we're trying to stop them on the longest winning run in the history of the game. <laughs> Can we do it? <sighs> like, are you talking yourself into believing a bit more as time goes on, or is it like, ah, we should just stop this and listen, I don't well, listen, not make a big deal of it? Listen, I, I said for fifteen years that you know some Ireland team is going to you know, be the one play, isn't it? Us <laughs> didn't, didn't work out too well for me, did it? So it's so hard to say, yeah, this is the one, that, you know. But I, I don't want to be negative like a about poem it either. When you were no. seven or eight, like, <laughs> I'm broken after prayer. after years, after fourteen goes of saying it. It could be us. Why won't believe it? Yeah. Um, so if, when it does happen. If it does happen, it's going to be a massive shock at the time. Whether that's 20 years' time, 50 years' time, or it's in, two weeks. in a week's time, it's going to be a massive shock. i tell you what we do need. We need them to be way off colour. We need it to be not great conditions to play, and we need to be so up for it. That part will, will be for sure. Yeah, The conditions most likely are going to be you know, pretty cold in Soldier Field that time of year. The first aspect, I'm just not so sure of for them to be way off the boil. Like they just haven't been. Their mediocre has been outstanding this year. We need whatever chef they had in 1995. <laughs> 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 on, that, on that coffee, note. coffee everyone, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thanks a million, Brian. Cheers. Five three one zero six. The text number. If you want to get in touch, you can tweet us here at Off the Ball. Off the Ball with BetDak.com, the sports betting exchange. Serious about sports 24-7. Every season, every sport, every team.